want you to stretch your hands this way. I, I have a word um, for you. Um, and, of course, you know I'm human, um, but I have the Holy Spirit. How many of you glad that you got spirit? Amen. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we need you. I need you. This church needs you. Um, so many distractions. But right now, we just ask that you will speak to us ever so clearly your word for us. That you will direct us, you will guide us. And that we will truly know that you are the healer. We honor and we praise you. We pray that you, Father, will captivate our minds so we won't be distracted. And that the Holy Spirit will convict us so we walk in righteousness. And that our light will shine as there's a world that needs to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. So help us faithfully declare your gospel in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for doing that. Today's message, and I didn't talk to Pastor Teresa, and she read the main text for today. I said, I have been not struggling with this message. This message has been overwhelming me today. We're going to go to Isaiah chapter 53. Um, Isaiah chapter 53. But before we go there, I don't want to rush us to land in that text because what God has been revealing to me about this text is absolutely amazing. If you ask me, Pastor, what's the first book of the Bible I should read, I would tell you the book of John. But if I said, or if you asked me, I can only have three chapters, I would say the first three chapters of Genesis. Because everything is contained in those first three chapters. And the gospel of John is a great, great gospel to read. It's 21 chapters. And I would strongly encourage you to dive into that text to know how to believe. John actually gives us the answer to the open book test. What's John writing about? He says he wrote these things so you would believe that you would believe. But what I want to share with you is that in, in, in understanding that, Isaiah chapter 53 is the granddaddy of all texts. That my experience with this text is that I've read it a majority of times. I've read it so many times. I've read Isaiah 53 countless amount of times. But I've never seen it in light of how God has shown it to me. I've been saved for over 30 years, and it's this I've looked at it, I was like, God, I've never seen it the way that you're showing it to me today. So we're going to do our best to dive into it because I do believe that this is a word from the Lord in Isaiah 53. Our title is called Look at Jesus. I want to encourage you to take notes, to watch this message again, and, and to share it. Not because I'm the speaker, but to share it because there's a word in this message that, that, that people need to hear. It's called Look at Jesus. It's a simple title, Look at Jesus. Can you say it with me? Look at Jesus. Last Sunday for me was a service of which I clearly saw the Holy Spirit at work. That message that Abigail Lucas brought was a divine inspired word of God. The best I've ever heard her communicate the word of God. 
I've listened to that message over and over again. I pray it's the most watched message. Because I don't know if she knew this, but God used her to set the stage for where he's going. I tried to go in a different direction. God kept bringing me back to that message that began in Isaiah chapter number 1. And so what I'm attempting to do this morning is to allow the Holy Spirit to lead me so that we can look at Jesus. So many things fighting for your attention, your devotion, your affection. But we must look at Jesus. If you see things going in the wrong direction, we took our eyes off Jesus. Amen, somebody. We got to look at Jesus. And so as we begin, we have to understand that Jesus is the bomb that heals the wounds of original sin. He doesn't heal behavior modification. He's not into that. Just is not into you trying harder. Jesus is into healing the wounds of original sin. So when we have fallen hard... Guess what he does? He lifts us up and restores our soul. And so the prophet Jeremiah asks, is there no bomb in Gilead? And the answer is, yes, there is. Look at Jesus. You see, the name Jesus is what makes the wounded whole. Oh, you got to get that. You got to get that. So there's a reason why we are looking at Jesus. The reason why we're doing this is because we want everything that God has for us, but God has clearly stated, look at Jesus. If your kids ask you a question you don't know the answer for, just tell them, look at Jesus. You're facing a dilemma. Tell yourself, look at Jesus. So how do we do that, Pastor Ro? How do I look at Jesus where there are multiple Jesus? <laughs> There's the American version of Jesus. Come on. There is the culture's version of Jesus. There's the church version. So which Jesus am I looking at? And so the answer really is this, that in John chapter 5, verse 39, John wants us to understand that he wants us to believe in Jesus, the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. That Jesus is who we're talking about. The word that became flesh. So I told you this, but let me remind you again, Christ is not his last name. Christ is not his last name. The angel was told to tell Mary, you shall give him the name Jesus, for he should do what? Save his people from the original sin. Oh, come on. Ooh. But Christ, the anointed, the Messiah one, that's the God factor. And so we must understand that, that if we look at Jesus... He clearly tells us in John chapter 5, verse 39, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. He's saying that you you open up the religious scriptures and you think just because you can read, that means you've actually encountered Jesus. He says, no, 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 it's more than that. 
He says, the scriptures, they actually bear witness about me. So from Genesis to Revelation, guess what the scriptures are telling us about Jesus? Not about you. Come on. So what we have done is we've told people it's all about you, so they formed a Jesus in a genie bottle. They've created a Jesus that's here to meet your needs, and they haven't told you that Jesus came to heal your wounds. Mm. Because there's certain things, if you look in the text, you're going to see about Jesus that's not pretty. And so he's saying, listen, they witness about me. Because what we want to see about Jesus is his goodness. So here's the first point. To look at Jesus, you need to search the scriptures. You need to search the scriptures. You must understand that just because every, any individual has a podcast or has a YouTube channel doesn't mean that they're actually preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have to open up your Bible and you have to read the Bible. You have to at least listen to the word of God because great deception is moving throughout the land. And if you don't search the scriptures, you're going to encounter a Jesus that doesn't exist. Mm. You have to know what you believe. You have to know why you believe it. I heard one of the greatest statements when I went to school visit for Lizzie. A powerful statement I heard. And the, the director was there and he says, you know, he said, he said this to the parents. It was, it was the parent session. He said this to the parents. He says, guess what? Your kids are borrowing your faith right now. He says, your kids are living your faith. He says, but there is coming a day where they have to own their faith. And what we have done is we've confused bringing them to church as if they met Jesus. And so what they tell you is, I know Jesus. Why? Because you brought me to church. That doesn't mean they know Jesus. It just means you brought them to church. And what we do then is we say, okay, I brought him to church. It's like, no, 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 no. They have to encounter Jesus for themselves. And you got to tell them, I know I brought you to church, but you got to look at Jesus. Oh, come on, come on. Hallelujah. Because I'm looking at Jesus as well. That's what I'm doing. And that's why I show up. Why? Because I'm looking at Jesus. Because he's the one that can heal the wounds. Oh, my goodness. That is so good. So I said, oh, my goodness. So Lizzie's looking, and she's borrowing my faith. But once I launch her now, we're going to see if she owns her faith. And that's encouraging now because that's letting me know, okay, this is how I parent. I said, Lizzie, you got to own your faith. you got to own your faith. So what have you been doing to build your faith? Have you been reading the Bible? Have you been reading the Bible? So to look at Jesus, we need to search the Scripture. We also have a culture that is by design, purpose trying to corrupt the church. By design. We have a culture that's trying to do that. And the reason why I'm telling you this is because when you search the Scriptures, you find the freedom because the Bible says you shall know the truth, and the truth shall do what? Set you free. I don't know about you, but I love freedom. I love freedom. 
And so when we look at Jesus, we, we search the scriptures. And so what happens is the Holy Spirit now, the Holy Spirit speaks to you and it lifts the scriptures. It lifts the rhema and it lifts the logos and you get it. like, that's it. I, I see Jesus. I see Jesus. So in searching the scriptures, I want you to know where you should start. You should start. So in Isaiah 53 is what I talked about. We're going to look, and really this particular chapter or this particular conversation really begins in Isaiah 52, verse 13, all the way to Isaiah 53, 12, 15 verses. And so, and so what the scholars did, uh, the biblical writers, what they did um, was they put chapters and verse in so that we can know how to find the text together. But, but in this particular case, it really should start at verse number 13 of Isaiah 52. You got to read that first to get the context of everything. These 15 verses are amazing. And so what the Lord is speaking to, what I want to encourage you is this, is that as you are looking at Jesus and you're searching the scriptures, I want you to start right here. Especially as we're looking at Good Friday and Resurrection uh, Sunday, we want you to start right here because, see, these 15 verses are one of the, is, is, these 15 verses, excuse me, are the central to the Hebrew writing. That in these 15 verses, we see the messianic, prophetic declaration of Jesus Christ coming. We see that these scriptures stand above all other scriptures in the Old Testament. Some scholars call it the fifth gospel. Some scholars look at this and they say, you know what, this particular chapter, this particular course, this particular uh, text, these 15 verses, that they actually should come before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So in other words, what are they saying? You can read the Old Testament and get a revelation of Jesus Christ without even going to the New Testament. Oh, Oh, that's so good. That's so good. That Mark, Matthew, Luke, John, Peter, Paul... They were all making reference to this particular text, every one of them. And so what they were saying was this, that this text is so solid in its doctrine that we must take time to start and search right there. Because if you're looking for Jesus, if you're looking at Jesus, if you're looking for Jesus, you start right here. I heard and I quote that a German scholar He said this in 1866. These verses, these verses, these 15 verses, it looks as if it had been written beneath the cross of Golgotha. That these 15 verses land you right at the cross. It lands you right at Christ. This is the most complete, the most powerful, the most important revelation of the Messiah in the entire Old Testament. Right here in front of us. Search the scriptures. We have an opportunity. We we have an opportunity as we are looking at the death of Jesus Christ, the burial and the resurrection. We have an opportunity right now to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me share this with you in case you don't know. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just for sinners. The gospel of Jesus Christ is also for saints. That the gospel doesn't only speak to a sinner, it also speaks to the saint. And we're going to see the importance of it right here in this particular text. Because Peter gets a hold of this text, and Peter says something profound that when we get a hold of it, we will see holiness in a whole new light. We will see the character of God in a whole new light. We will see the consistency of God in a whole new light. 
we will see the compassion of God, things that people so desire, things that people need. And we as the church, when we look at Jesus, we come with our character is in Christ. We come and our consistency is in Christ. We come and our compassion is there. Why? Because we're searching the scriptures, we're seeing Jesus, and we are actually living out what Jesus told us to live out. That is so amazing. That is awesome. That is what we call a healthy church. A healthy church looks for Jesus. <laughs> That's what it does. It spends the entire 45 minutes for some churches or two hours at TGP. And the entire time what we're doing is we're looking for Jesus. In the songs, we look for Jesus. Come on. Hallelujah, somebody. In the prayers, we're looking for Jesus. We take our eyes off. We only keep our eyes on Jesus. We don't look for anything else. Why? It's so easy to be distracted. Why? Because the enemy doesn't want you to find Jesus. Oh. And so we are looking for Jesus. So let's take a look at him in Isaiah 52, verse 13 and verse 14. If you have your Bibles, turn there. In Isaiah 52, verse 13 to verse 14. The first thing that the prophet Isaiah writes about, he says, well, let's take a look at him. In Isaiah 52, verse 13 and verse 14, it says this. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Now we jump down to Isaiah 53, verse 1 and 2, and it begins, Who has believed what has been heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of a dry ground. He had no form or match that we should do what? Look at him. Oh, and no beauty that we should desire him. So let's break this down because when I was studying this, I was looking and saying, okay, hold on a second, God. What are you saying? He's saying this. He says no form or majesty that we should look at him. There was nothing special or, or, or spectacular about the Messiah from the world's perspective. He didn't come as we celebrate Christmas, right? He didn't come with all these bells and whistles and like, hey, like a regular king would come. He didn't do that. He came in a humble manger. He came in such a manner that people went to Herod and says, where is the king? Where is the one born the king? And he says, he's not here. Why? Because he came in such a place that people wouldn't desire him. Why? Because he had nothing fancy about him. This is the Son of God. The Word made flesh. And what we're seeing is this. There was no form of majesty. He was just simply a servant. That's so cool. He was just simply a servant. He says there's no beauty that we should desire him. So in other words, he's saying this. There was nothing about Jesus that would attract your eye to him. That in Isaiah, he's saying this king 700 years before, he's saying that when this king shows up, that there will be nothing that's going to attract your eyes to him. And so the religious people missed it. All the people missed it. But the people who are looking for Jesus, come on. Mm, they found him. So the question is, do you see Jesus? We can attract a crowd to come to our churches through entertainment, enticements, and events, and easy believism. But that doesn't guarantee that they will encounter and experience the Jesus of the Scripture. 
Because there's nothing fancy about them, we have to make things so elaborate so people will come, and then we give them Jesus. That's not working, people. It's not working. Come on. It's not meeting your real issues. It's not working because you're going on the same way. I'm going on the same way. It's not about building this big entertainment and then we slide in Jesus. No, it's about elevating Jesus. And he becomes your entertainment. Oh, my God. Come on. If we exalted Jesus, come on, we don't need any instrument to exalt the name of Jesus. Just a mention of his name. Demons tremble. They don't need drums. They don't need guitars. They don't need a microphone. Just the name of Jesus. Demons tremble at his name. My God, they don't need an entertainment system. Just say the name of Jesus and demons have to flee. My God, we better stop trying to entertain people and give them Jesus. Oh, I know, I know I belong to a church that wants to see Jesus. Come on. Listen, I tell people I didn't put gas in my car at 396. Come on. To come to church to be entertained. I came to encounter Jesus. I came to spend two hours with people who are searching the scriptures to see Jesus. Ooh, that's so good. I believe there's going to be a shift in how you do church. I believe there's going to be a shift in how we do church. I believe when you get to the parking lot, my God, you're going to get out of your car and be like, oh, my goodness, Jesus is in the building. You're going to bring your kids, your loved ones, your business ideas, your dreams, and you're going to bring them to Jesus. And he's going to make them spectacular. He's going to make them great. He's going to make them big. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Can someone shout Jesus? Oh, my God. We got pastors being intimidated by big things. No, let's exalt a big Jesus. His name is above every single name. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Oh, I got to park it there for one second because you got to know it's about Jesus. Look at Jesus. Don't be distracted by the glitter. Don't be distracted. The enemy took Jesus up a high mountain short of all the kingdoms of the world. And so... Why then would we do that to you? Come on. Why would we take and entertain you and you miss Jesus? Come on, somebody. 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 You got to be able to say, I saw Jesus this morning at TGP. I saw Jesus this morning. Elevate the name of Jesus above everything else. Let's get to Jesus. Let's get to Jesus. I'm not saying we shouldn't have structure. I'm not saying we shouldn't have systems. But my God, when that is what you depend on, people come in full of wounds and leave full of wounds. They felt good. But they didn't get freedom. And if I got to get freedom at the expense of not feeling good, I want freedom. I want freedom. My God, that's so good. Did you see Jesus? So in Acts chapter 8, we see this text being preached. In Acts chapter 8, if you're familiar with the story, uh, here's Philip. He's an evangelist. 
And so um, he's doing a revival. Watch this now. So Philip is at a revival. God's doing great things. His name's been elevated. Jesus' name's been elevated. And the Holy Spirit tells Philip, you need to get from where you are. See, sometimes when we have a crowd, we miss Jesus because we get so connected to that. <laughs> and he says, leave that. I'm doing great things over here as well. Leave the crowd for just one. Oh. Because they're looking at Jesus. And so Philip gets there. And if you're familiar with the story in Acts chapter 8, verse 30 to verse 35, he sits in this Ethiopian eunuch who was at Pentecost. He came there because that's what you would do. They would come to Pentecost. It was one of the feasts that you had to physically get there. You couldn't just go to the synagogue. You had to actually go to the temple. You had to go to Jerusalem. And that's where he was. He was sent. And so here he is now on his way back from Pentecost. He's on his way back. He's bringing back. And so all of a sudden now God says he can't go back the way he came. Mm. And so the Bible says he was searching the scriptures. And he looked and he got to the passage, verse 32, of the scripture he was reading. And it says, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its share is silent. So he opened out his mind. He was quoting Isaiah 53. He's opened up to that. And he said, I'm, and then he gets to the point. Okay, who, is the, who are they talking about? Is it him or somebody else? And then Philip comes in. And I love what it says here in verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture. He told him the good news about Jesus. You see why you want to search the scriptures? So that when you get to a place of wondering, how does this work in my marriage? How does it work in my business? Someone comes along and says, hey, there's Jesus in it. That's a, that's a different way of thinking. I, I know. I, I know I have to wait until we actually let this sink in. It's a different way of thinking because when we look for a principle, we just want to get the principle and get what we want. But it takes time to be intentional to let's find Jesus in it first. Let's find Jesus in it first. So, yes, create your business plan, but let's find Jesus. Create the idea, but let's find Jesus. Have children, but let's find Jesus. Come on. Everything we do, the goal is I want to find Jesus. If I don't find Jesus, I'm still searching. I'm still searching. I'm still searching. Because not everyone who says Jesus, come on, is actually the real Jesus. And so he begins with the scripture. He says, tell me about Jesus. Tell me about Jesus. I believe in God for the day when we're going to hear people say, please tell me about Jesus. They're going to knock down and say, can the church be open 24-7? Because people are going to be coming consistently. I need to know about Jesus. That's what you need to know about. That is about your core value. Does your core value elevate Jesus? Does your mission statement bring me back to Jesus? Does the songs bring me back to Jesus? Everything I'm doing, is it bringing me to Jesus? It may soothe my soul, but I'm still wounded. The Holy Spirit's going after that this morning. He says, I just don't want you to feel good. I want you to know that God is good. Because he gave us Jesus. He gave us Jesus. Do you see Jesus there in the text? Do you see Jesus in everything that you're doing? And that's back to Abigail again. We're saying whatever you're doing, invite him and be creative with him. See Jesus in it. Look for Jesus. People ask you, what are you doing? Tell them, I'm looking for Jesus. I'm reading the Bible to look for Jesus. And it's here that we now shift and we, we see from the text that was read by Pastor Teresa, the one about he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. Chastised our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. 
And so what we want to do now is in looking for Jesus, what I believe prophetically is happening now is, is, is the Holy Spirit is saying to every single one of us, I want you to take a look at your open wounds. That's what the Holy Spirit's saying right now. I want you to look at your open wounds. Isaiah chapter 1 begins with the open wounds. He's speaking to a nation. America, we must look at our open wounds as a nation, but also as the church. For as the church goes, so goes the nation. It's not the other way around, people. It's not the nation leads the church. It's the church leads the nation. That's a massive assignment, but we've been anointed to do it. And so the first thing we must do now is this. We must take a look at our open wounds. I want to read you something. I want to read something I think that's so important. I fear there's a lot of people, and I'm quoting now, walking around thinking they have scars when they really have open wounds. Let that sink in. Coming into the church, relation, everything, your coworkers, whatever, and they go, man, I got a scar. And God's like, no, it's an open wound. And the reason why we're not experiencing the freedom is because Jesus came to look at the open wound, not the scars. Oh, oh come on. He came to deal with the open wounds. And so we see now, he goes on, and he says, could that be you? People with open wounds seem to attract every type of bacteria, and they get sicker and sicker and sicker and sicker, and then they become religious and rebellious because they can't deal with the open wound because nobody's seen the scars. Mm. Mm. So the healing process takes much longer because you confuse time with God. We think time heals, but no, God heals. Time will heal a scar because physically that's how your body is functioning. God in his grace connected your body that if you get a scar, if you get an open, he says physically you can get a scar, but the wound, the original wound, I need to be the one to heal that. That's so good. Genesis chapter 3 again. Come on, right? After they say what they do, they're, oh, my gosh, we are naked. Now, we can see each other, and they've got fig leaves to hide the scar, but still have the open wounds. So when God showed up, they were afraid of him. Why? Not because of the scar. They're afraid of him because of the open wound. And so what happens is this. If we don't take the time as a pastor, I cannot waste your time and not deal with the open wounds that are in your life. And that's why pastorally, the joy I get is not preaching behind the pulpit. Man, a donkey can preach. Come on. The enjoyment that I get is by meeting you one-on-one. And God reveals to me and to you the open wounds so he can heal it. Because you need the body of Christ called Jesus to heal. Why do you think the enemy divides us? So that we can heal the open wounds. And so he divides us because it requires the body. And so real quick, this is the thing you want to understand. Don't confuse the pleasure of sin for the seriousness of sin. We spend more time preaching about the pleasures of sin until you don't do it. 
And we ignore the seriousness of sin that can cause you to be eternally away from God forever. And so a lot of the issues we deal with as a church is regarding the pleasure of sin. And people will debate you and justify what they want to do anyways. But the seriousness of sin, oof, that's what we want to address. So the church, we exist to address the topic of the seriousness of sin. Why? Because you have an open wound. And if we don't deal with it, you're going to get sicker and sicker. The bacteria is going to get to a place where no one wants to be around you. And all of a sudden now, it becomes toxic. And guess what happens now? You are disconnected from the body. And you're still going to do the pleasure of sin. <laughs> And so what he's saying here is this. We must understand the sin issue. We must understand that. It's because of your human nature. It's not that you're behaving badly. It's the nature of sin. And so the gospel comes to let you know you need his divine nature. You need his nature. And so the preaching of the gospel against sin is not to try to make you feel condemned. It is to try to get you to understand. Take his nature on so you can walk whole. That's good stuff. I'm telling you right now. I'm telling Because you can sit in church for years and never get healed. And that's not God's fault. Because no one ever told you the seriousness of sin. They said as long as you're an American, you're good. I'm going to pause there for a second. People literally believe that. Because the freedom we have to preach the gospel and the things that we could do that other nations can't do. And so guess what? I'm a good person. I behave well. You know what I mean? So what's the big deal? There's no seriousness of sin. And we're trying to say, yes, it's the eternal separation from God. It's an open wound that you need to get closed. It's not about the pleasure of sin. Moses goes, I refuse the pleasure of sin. Why? Because he understood the seriousness of sin. How? When he encountered God, God says, take the sandals off your feet because the ground you're on is holy. Moses, my presence is what brings conviction. And he says that. And so, they're, oh, my goodness, I, I really believe this right now, that you're going to encounter God in such a manner. You're going to take off the Egyptian shoes. You're going to take off the thing that you walk in, and you're not going to see his holiness, and you're going to realize now that God is a consuming fire. And he's going to heal you. He's going to heal you. Let me, let, me, let me hurry up and, and do this. And so, here's how it works. Here's how it works. And I wish I had time to really dive deep into into this topic of sin because here's the we don't preach on sin because we don't want people to leave church right so we don't preach on it i mean that's serious right because we preach on the pleasures of sin and they're like this oh god oh you know what i mean and so we give you better chairs so you're comfortable you know what i'm saying and we give you the words because we gotta make it comfortable right and and we said i don't we apologize for talking about the sins of sin because you're gonna leave you're going to leave. You're going to say, let me see what he's talking about. If I like it, I'm going to show up. If I don't like it, I'm going to leave. And so pastors are afraid to talk about the seriousness of sin. Because they're going to leave. And take their money with them. 
So we don't preach on the sins of sin. And you're walking wounded. My God, we're going to have to answer to God. There's going to be many pastors who have to answer to God because people came in with an open wound. And because we're afraid of talking about the sins of sin, they're walking around wounded and they're having a bad relationship because we're afraid to give them the antidote, to give them the bomb of Gilead, to say, look at Jesus, not me. Look at Jesus. Can I preach this thing, man? My goodness. My goodness. You see, the apostle wasn't afraid to preach. Look what's in Acts chapter 8, verse 23. For I see, Acts 8, 23, for I see that you're in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. My goodness. That's King James right there. Yeah. You preach that now, they're like, what in the world is wrong with him? But he realized that you have an open wound and we have to get it healed. So I'm so glad that God has given me a people who says, preach, Pastor Roe, preach. Preach the word of God without compromising. Preach it with compassion. Preach it with conviction. Preach it in such a manner that you humble yourself as well. And you recognize, follow me as I follow Christ. That I'm also looking at Jesus as well. It's not me saying, look at me. I'm saying, look at Jesus with me. Let's look at Jesus together. And that's why I said, when my dad called, I said, I got to call him. I can't preach to the church about reconciliation, and I don't do it. Devil is a liar. And so I realized that. So here's what happened in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 5. He says that. They're sick from their head all the way down. Number two, if we don't deal with the sin that affects the wound, it affects the soul. Psalms 38, verse 5 says this. Psalms 38, verse my wounds stink. <laughs> Psalms 30 verse 5. And fester because of my foolishness. Mm-hmm. He said, because you didn't talk about the stirrings of sin, it affected my soul and now this stinks. Because I'm acting like a fool because you didn't point me to Jesus who's wisdom. Find yourself in a Bible-believing church. That teaches you that God wants to heal your wounds. Because some came on you, not because of your decision, but it so happened to be where you were. Some evil individual who gave themselves to Satan came and afflicted you. And you asked God, where were you? And what happens now is that we get to a place of where this open womb takes place. And all of a sudden now, we start making decisions based on our soul and not on our spirit. Mm. Because that event was traumatic and it was real. So we have to see Jesus. And if we don't do that, we'll start doing self-inflicted wounds. And so you repeat what happened to you. I had people when I was in foster care. I remember this one case in foster care. It amazed me. There was this young lady, and she would urinate and just, uh, you know, release feces just everywhere. Um, and sometimes we had to replace the floor because it was so much urine. And the reason why she did that, self-inflicted wound. Why? Because the perp that would come in, only way she could defend herself was to make herself a mess. So this person now, if that doesn't get healed, will continue to repeat that 
Oh, come on. This is Bible stuff. Because the enemy will get a stronghold inside there. And say, see, that's what everybody wants from you. These are children. Come on. That's why a majority of them wake up, don't know their identity. Come on. The culture comes in to give them their identity because we're not looking at Jesus. They don't know who to look at anyways. So the culture says, look at me. The culture says, look at me. Look at me. I'm going to entertain you. Come on. I'm going to entertain you. At first, it became so subtle, the things on TV, that I was watching this show, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, when I watched it 15 years ago, was I just blind to it? Like, oh, my word. No, they've increased. They've increased now. They've increased. I'm not knocking movies. Please stay spiritual, please. I'm just talking about the media's agenda is designed for you to take your eyes off Jesus. I'll say it again in case you doubt. The media is designed, a tool of Satan to get you to take your eyes off of Jesus. It's ruined marriages. It's ruined business. It ruins a bunch of things. Why? Because we take our eyes off Jesus and we operate from our soul realm that's wounded. I got to go on. There are two types of people, the rebellious and the religious. If you're not either one of those, then you are radical for Jesus. We just call it discipleship. People say, you're radical for Jesus. Just call it, that's discipleship. That's just living your faith. Radical, that's just living your faith. And that's what we have to become. He wants to be living like, living like that. So if you're here this morning and you're losing blood because you're living in a fallen world, God has the answer for you. If you are losing blood because of an open wound, because you live in a fallen world, God has an answer for you. His answer is found in this. He doesn't address your wounds through bandages. Because the blood will leak through and you have to change it again. You change partners, you change this, you change that. You keep, you keep changing things, hoping they'll stop the bleeding. You change this. You have this, no commitment anymore. You're doing this, you're changing this. You're going from this to this to this. And what you're doing is you're keeping your eyes off Jesus. And so you have the bandages, which he calls the dirty menstrual cycle bandages. And he says it stinks and it festers because you just, so you change it. You, you don't change, you change the bandage. And God has said, I'm here to change you, not the bandages. Oh, come on. I'm here to change your body. I'm here to heal your wound. Not so you keep changing your bandages so the blood keeps running out. No, no. It's the blood of Jesus that you need, not the blood from some wound that was inflicted on you. know, the devil is a liar. He's saying, stop trying to change the bandages. But accept the body of Christ. Hmm. Woo. Isaiah 40, verse 1 and 2, real quick, real quick. We're going to, I'm going to take you home. We're, we're, at, we're at second base going to third base. We're at second base going to third base. I'm going to get you out of here. Isaiah 40. So here is the word of healing that must come from the church now. So the church is doing what? We're looking at Jesus, right? And so because we're looking at Jesus and we see the condition we see the, the nature. Here's what we tell people now. Isaiah 40, verse 1 and 2. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. 
speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her, watch this now, that her warfare is ended. Oh, my goodness. If you've been in a battle for your soul, for your spirit, God is saying right now in a prophetic word that warfare is over. He is about to go to the cross. Come on, somebody. He is about to go to the cross. He says the warfare is over. And what you got to do is receive the spoils. Can I teach this thing like I feel it coming through my toes? Nations were coming against the nation of Israel. And he said, amen. He said, listen, send the choir ahead of you. Now the entertainers, the worshipers. That's why when we come into church, it's warfare. And that's why we can't entertain you. We can't entice you. You need worshipers to open up their mouth and to declare the goodness of God, to declare the power of God. He says, send the worshipers ahead of you. And as they were worshiping the Lord, confusion came to the enemy and they were killing each other and they were slashing each other. You didn't even get there. Your God is ahead of you fighting your battles. And he's telling people, comfort my people, comfort my people, tell them. The warfare is over. Oh, my goodness. You see, this is not a normal Resurrection Sunday. No, no, no. No, no, no. This particular Resurrection Sunday is where you understand the warfare is over. I'm looking at Jesus at the cross. Come on. And I'm tired of changing these bandages. Come on, somebody. That I need to be made whole. I need this open wound to heal. And so the Bible says that when they got there, when they finally caught up to what God was doing, when they came, they were looking around and says, ooh, look at Jesus. Taking all the spoils. Come on, somebody. Taking all the spoils and walking back with the prosperity and the blessings of God intact. The church lacks no resource whatsoever. <laughs> Whatever God designs, he will do. He's building his church. And so I wanted you to know this morning, he says, the warfare is ending. And here's what he says. Here's what the warfare is. That her iniquity is pardoned. Hallelujah. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. He says, listen, I'm taking away the iniquity. The first healing that must take place is the healing of a relationship with Jesus Christ. That your iniquity is pardoned. It's pardoned. And then he says in Isaiah 53. By his wounds were healed. I'm going to walk you through this. And now we're in third base coming home. And this is where I want you to really lock and load. This is to equip some people, encourage some people, but hopefully edify all people. For some of you need to be equipped to know how, as the body, to be used by God to bring healing to other people. But you yourself must first be made whole. You must first be made whole. You must first be made whole. Now, I was talking to someone that I meet weekly. And I said, I said describe for me a healthy church. And we were talking and, and uh, they kept talking. And uh, what I love to do, I don't know if you ever met with me yet, but when you're talking, I'm writing notes. And I love it because you're dropping nuggets. I'm like, if you don't want I'm taking it. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I'm like, oh, that was good from God. And I'm taking notes. Now, at the end, I told him, I said, you just described a healthy church. It's a healthy church. The joy of the Lord is there. I'm like, ooh, that's good. A healthy church, Christ is exalted. I'm, ooh, that's good. 
And they kept saying, but, but there's no perfect church. I said, I said, stop saying that because here's why. Because we confuse perfection with the world's definition against the Bible's definition. If there's one thing you're going to learn at TGP is we are kingdom-minded people and we talk kingdom language, not the culture language. Right? Now, remember, I talked about the system of sin. So I'm just giving this example. So when we talk about marriage, we know what it means. How the world got the church to be confused, they add one word, traditional. And we bought into it, and now when we talk to people, we say traditional marriage. So that means there must be another. (sighs) Subtle by the enemy. So when we say the word perfect, we do it from the world's perspective. And not from the Bible where Jesus says, be he perfect. What are you going to do with that? If Jesus said it, well, he didn't really mean that. No, that's what Jesus said. So what do you do? Search the scriptures and find out what Jesus meant by it then. Don't go to the culture. Well, no, we can't because no one's perfect and because we're the, no, no, no. Now you're making a healthy church not healthy anymore. And it's not even the devil. It's just you not understanding kingdom language. I know I'm helping somebody, right? So when I talk to people, I say, I don't debate stuff that's already solved in the word of God. So let's get to the real issue. Let's have a relationship. And so the point I'm making is simply this, is that we have to understand that, no, we are working towards completion. So what Jesus was saying, be he perfect in completion as your father is complete. So guess what? A healthy church, we move towards completion. So we embrace people. Come on. We love people. Why? Because we want you to be healthy. Why? Because we don't want you to walk around with open wounds. They're not healthy. So because we don't have the power to heal, we just tell them to stay unhealthy and say no one's perfect. When I gave my heart to Jesus, he made me whole. And when there's an issue between my head and my heart, I will offend my head to get to the heart of what Jesus is saying. And you must do that as well. You must do that as well. Okay, I got five minutes, and here's what we're going to do now. So he says, with his wounds, we are healed. With whose wounds? Not ours. (laughs) With his wounds were healed. Not our wounds going to, with his wounds, he heals my wounds. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. So what are the wounds? So here are the, the, the main, in Isaiah 53, we're seeing this. And he says, but he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement of, of, that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Now watch this. This is what's important about it. He just said, comfort my people in Isaiah 40. So from Isaiah 40 to Isaiah 66, he shifts now from the judgment of sin. He now shifts in the next 19 chapters. He now moves to salvation. And what he begins in verse 40, he said, this is now the gospel. So I told you about the seriousness of sin so I can lead you to a place now where I can heal your wounds. And so he begins in Isaiah 40. He says, comfort my people. Let them know their iniquity is pardoned. He doesn't just say it. He now is going to demonstrate it. 
He doesn't just say your sins are forgiven. He goes, I'm actually going to be able to do it. Why? Because there was a legal right that the enemy had that man had to die for sin, but only God can forgive sin. And so now he comes, I'm now going to give you a new law. Come on, somebody. I'm now going to make it that you can actually be healed and the enemy can't bring accusations against you anymore. Come on. That once you're made whole, the devil can't bring triggers anymore into your life. My God. God blesses us. He heals us. The enemy comes, hits us with a trigger. We go right back again. He goes, no, the devil is accused of the brethren. He's a liar. No, you're made whole. Not because of your wounds, because of his wounds. So when the devil tries to bring up your wounds, point him to Jesus' wounds. Oh, God. He was wounded for my transgression. He was bruised for my iniquity. The chastisement of my peace is upon him. Not me, him. And by his wound, I'm healed. I'm made whole. Oh, my goodness. This is so good. So good. So here it is. So the first wound that we see that's taking place is this. The first wound. He says he's like a lamb in verse 7 of Isaiah 53. He's like a lamb that didn't open his mouth. So John gets a hold of that. And John says, behold, the lamb of God. Who does what? Takes away the sins of the world. That's John 1, 29. So John begins to John is saying, oh, my goodness. I'm seeing Jesus. And guess what? He's the lamb that takes away the what? The sin of what? The world. The sin. Not plural. The sin. Of the world. So you can deal with the sin nature. Oh, my goodness. He deals with the power and the penalty so you can deal with the presence of sin. Because we walk in defeat. We walk into to be addicted. Because what we fail to recognize is the power and the penalty of sin has been broken. Because God says, comfort my people. Comfort my people. Speak to them and tell them their iniquity has been pardoned. So the devil knows that the cross broke his power and the penalty. So what does he do? He gets you to get your eyes off Jesus so you don't know that the penalty and the power is available. And so now we deal with the presence of sin and the pleasure of sin. And we tell people here in the, in, in the what? In the presence, no one's perfect. So I'm going to stay wounded. And I have two options. Be religious or turn and become rebellious. And God has said, no, 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 it's an open wound. i got to heal that. Because you have a scar thinking that you have a healed wound. (sighs) You have a scar because of the fallen world. But I destroyed the power and the penalty so you can walk in wholeness. Even with the presence of sin and the pleasure waiting for you. Oh. Why do you think I love to gather with the body of Christ? Because you all remind me that we can overcome. (laughs) That when I'm struggling, you're praising God. I'm like, if they can praise God in the midst of their struggle, guess what? Can you help me praise God? Because one shall chase a thousand, two shall put ten thousand to flight. And so therefore, I don't want to go back into the presence of sin. I don't want to go back in the pleasure of sin. And I know the seriousness of sin. I got an open wound. Can I come to the body to get healed? Because by his stripes, we are made whole. Oh, God. 
That's so good. So here it is. The first wound that he took for you was to be humiliated. The first one, Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pulled on the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spit in it. So Jesus now comes, and they arrest him, and they humiliate him. You're Jesus. You're Jesus that you're looking at. That this coming week, the fake trial, the phony trial, violated their own rules. This Jesus, they mocked him. They brought him before Pilate, and they would spit at him, blindfold him. Put a robe on him and says, remember Isaiah 53 said there was no splendor about him, no beauty. And they tried to make him like he had splendor. They mocked him, humiliated him. There's deep wounds inside of us that we feel humiliated. Made a mockery of. Made a fool of. You told me you were going to do something, you didn't do it. You humiliated me. You made a mockery of me as a woman. A mockery of me as a man. You humiliated me. But because of my open wounds, I can't leave you. Because it'll make a spectacle out of us. And so what do we do? We hide that part from Jesus. Humiliated. Made a mockery of. Did you know? I didn't know this. Maybe you did. But there was two floggings that they gave, or scourging. That when they brought him to Pilate, Pilate said, I see no fault in him. So guess what? Make a mockery. Beat him. But don't severely beat him this time. So our Lord and Savior, because Pilate was a chicken. And to appease the people, the religious people, he says, go ahead and beat him. But don't beat him severely yet. Because just humiliate him. Oh, come on. Here's what the enemy does. Just humiliate them. Don't, don't, don't take them out. Just make them walk wounded. Oh. Don't, don't, don't take them out because when you take them out, they're in glory. Just make them walk wounded. And connect them to the body where they'll feel disconnected because they're humiliated. The first one he took was that. They just beat him enough to bring him back to Pilate. And Pilate says, what do you want? He's like, what do you want me to do for this person? What do you want? And then he finally said, Pilate goes, oh, I have an idea. I'll exchange this Jesus for somebody else. And what did they say? No, crucify him. We don't want this humiliated Jesus. No, no, no. Crucify him. And so Pilate says, are you sure? And so he exchanged a murder for, for this Jesus. And then he now says, beat him with a severe beating that on his back they would tie. And they would beat him with the whip and he would pull out the skin. And guess what was coming out? Blood. His blood was being shed to be humiliated. The second one now is the physical wounds. The physical wounds. These are the wounds that, that progresses. This is not just, it's moved from the emotion now to, to physically affecting you. One thing that I have to learn in pastoring a church is in my life is how to deal with the physical things of stress and anxiety. I have to be able to get to a place of where don't take your eyes off Jesus, bro. Keep
keep it on Jesus because physically you can feel it. And this is what happens when bitterness is not dealt with. It becomes a physical thing. And so Pilate says, physically now, destroy him. And so they got him and they put a crown of thorns on his head and nails in his hands and feet. So we had what? Humiliated wounds. Jesus took that for us. The physical wounds, Jesus took that for us. The third one is this one. You thought it was over, but the deepest wound is this. Jesus now says these words. God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? The deepest wound is an individual who feels that God has forsaken them. If we'd be honest, we'd say, God, I feel like you, you abandoned me, man. And Jesus cries out, God, where are you? And now there's one other affliction that they gave to Jesus that only John writes about. And we end with this. Matthew didn't write about this. Mark didn't write about this. Luke didn't write about it. Luke is a doctor. Only John writes this one here. In John chapter 19, verse 33 and verse 34. My last scripture and I'm done. Appreciate you focusing on Jesus for the time that I've taken. In John 19, 33, 33 and 34, he says this. They said, it's the Sabbath. It's coming. It's getting dark. Don't leave the beaten, crucified bodies of criminals. Don't leave them up. A crucifixion was done in such a manner that they didn't die instantly, that they would have a little stool here, and they would nail their feet like this. And when they said their hands, it went right into here. It wasn't here, it was right into here. And because they couldn't breathe, and if they, they tried to breathe, that's how they would asphyxiate. They would have to lift themselves up like this just to catch another breath, and then they go back down again. And they would do this and come back down again. And sometimes you can walk the Roman road where the criminals were and hear them crying out for days. That's what Jesus went through with his wounds. And so they said, listen, we can't have a prolonged crying out. And so they said, can you, can you break their legs so that when your legs are broken, you no longer can do this. And so it says they broke the others. But when they came to Jesus, he was already dead. He said, it is finished. I want to show you the difference between it is finished and it is final. Matthew, Mark, Luke, all said, it is finished. But John writes, and says, for you to believe, it is final. Oh. And so the soldier now, because he came to Jesus, he was already dead, took his spear, not knowing he's fulfilling prophetic scripture, and put it in his side. And out came blood and water. Only John records this event of not just it is finished, but it is final. Mm, God. And what God wants you to know this morning is that 
by his wounds you are healed. It is final, my God. The warfare is over, people. This is your season to walk in wholeness before God. That you are going to walk whole and healed because it is final, my God. It is final, no longer just it is finished. The program is over. We had another Easter service and you go back with your wounds. He says, no, this Resurrection Sunday, it is final. And now you can believe. He can break every addiction. It's final. He can break every drug addiction. It's final. Someone say, it is final. Final. This is it. He pierced the side and water and blood came out. With every head bowed, every eyes closed. Woo. Look at Jesus. Come on, come on, come on. Look at Jesus. Jesus.